pattern. It's, it's holding up. It's holding up, baby. He wanted to make sure it's working, uh, that it's, it's standing the test. All right. Well, good morning, everyone. All right. Okay. Well, you guys, how many of you seen the movie Back to the Future? Oh, okay. All right. So you guys know this movie. Okay. How many have seen part two, Back to the Future? Okay. Okay. You guys are fans. Okay. How many saw Back to the Future part three? Oh, still the same amount of nothing. All right. Okay. All right. So you guys are fans. Oh, watch out. I was about to get a life uh, or jacket, um, a jacket vest, kind of looking like a life jacket, but uh, jacket vest, but uh, they're hard to come by now. You can't find them as much. Um, you can try to grab them, but uh, it's not worth uh, the time. But here, so we're, why are we choosing this? Why are we talking about back to the future? It seems like in everything that we've been through and all that we're going through and how we are pushing forward in the midst of all that we've been going through in the last 18, 19 months, I've had the privilege to be a part of a pastoral network up in Pennsylvania. I went away for a couple of days this week to spend some time specifically with the lead pastor of a church called LCBC Church. And it's a church that has 19 campuses and about anywhere between 14 to 18,000 people. And I was a part of that church at one period in time. So it's been a blessing because there are a host of pastors that are around tables that are invited to come and to discuss and kind of what we're going through and so many things that we can learn about ministry, especially during this time. Last year, when we went through it in 2020, we were meeting every three weeks because of the challenges that were in front of us. We didn't know where this was going. And now we've, we've honed it down to about twice a year and we have this connection where we're able to share kind of the struggles that we're going through with ministries as lead pastors we're working through and trying to understand. I have to be honest with you, when I go there, I'm relieved because in one sense, I don't feel like I'm alone. We're not alone as a church. Every church is struggling in some manner right now. They're struggling with community. They're struggling with engagement. They're challenged. Most of them are challenged financially. All of this because of what we've had to endure for the last 18 or 19 months. I was concerned when I went there that I was like the only church that was struggling, but obviously that's not the case. And although I am the smaller church of them all, it was really encouraging for us to gather around together and to minister to one another in a couple of days. And so I want to encourage you that what, one of the things that we have to look at as a ministry, but also as a people of God, universally as a church, is community. How do we get back to community after being isolated for over 18 months? How do we have to relearn how to even just handshake, hug, or do whatever it takes because we're all created for that. And so we have to go back. In the scriptures, we have to go back in order to get to the future and start with even now in the present, seeing what can we do? How do we relearn this? This is so key. It's so important. So as we see, one of the things we're going to learn is the culture of prayer because as we look back at the first part of Acts and even Further back to Genesis, we have to understand that God desires relationship, connection, community. Why? Because it starts at the beginning with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And as we see the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit in unity and community and connection and relationship, it was his desire, God the Father, to send the Son and the Son who comes. Now after he is resurrected and ascended, he had deposited the Holy Spirit in us. 
And so that is so vital that we would understand that at the first part is that prayer was something they did at the very beginning. But was it just for the first century or is it for us today? And how do we cultivate a culture of prayer? How do we do that? Is it individualized or corporate? How do we get together when we're told to be isolated? How do we get together when we still have a Zoom or a FaceTime or a phone or anything we can to communicate and connect? It's not the same like being in person, but yet we're relearning this over and over again. So as I stated, so what do we need to get back to in order to move forward? What do we need to get back to? And so we have to, as you see your worship guides there, we have to continue to ask that question. How can we challenge one another in this? So I think the first thing is we need to get back to community because we were created for it. We got to get back to community. So let me just give you kind of an excerpt from Genesis chapter 2, 18. We understand that God created the heavens and the earth. And he created the animals and all, therefore, on earth, the expansion between the the heavens and the earth. And as he created this, he also saw it was good for him to create man. And as he created man, he said that this particular person called Adam, which in the Hebrew is Adam, Adam, that's the Hebrew word for man, is that there is a man that needs communication, connection, community. This man whom the three have created in the Imagu Dei needs community. And so as we look at this, it says, Then the Lord said, It is not good that a man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now, I don't know how you feel, but I hope you feel great in your marriage. (laughs) We're not going to talk about marriage, but I hope you feel great in your marriage that you're not hoping you're alone right now. But I'm hoping that you would desire to want to be with your counterpart, your companion. Because just as it says to be man, to be needing of a helper or companion, my hope is that we would see that when we understand this very quickly, God was designed to create man to have communication and community. We need to get back to understanding that again. We need to see that the word helper means to help and assist but it, was, it wasn't God's intention for a woman to help and assist more than it's to come alongside of a companion as well. Because, see, the idea of the word, I mean, if you look at it from its meaning, and I look at a, a, a net Bible note, I, I love what it says here. It says, the one who does for us, that woman talking about, the woman coming from a man, what we cannot do for ourselves. The one who meets our needs. In the context, the word seems to express the idea of an indispensable companion. The woman would supply what the man was lacking in the design of creation, and logically, it would also follow that the man would supply what she is lacking, although it's not stated here specifically. So the idea is that a woman doesn't just come alongside with that submission of whatever you want, we do. It's coming together because whatever you lack, I can fill in the gaps. And then we come together, a husband and wife come together as not only just a companion to another person, but a strong team because remember, we're better together. And so as a strong team, how do we do that together? 
And so the idea is that the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, we're talking it through. And then in chapter 2, 20b through 23, we just have to read this. It says, but for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. It says, so the Lord caused a deep sleep because they looked through all the animals, kind of a, a summation of what he was going through, the process. All the animals and realized, didn't find a helper in an animal for, for the man. So then God said, I got to put him through a deep sleep. And so they did to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of the ribs, closed up his place with flesh. Kind of sci-fi stuff there. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man had made into a woman and brought her to the man. And it says this. It says, then the man said, this is last is the bone of my bones and the flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. Okay, because she was taken out of man. So woman, man. So when you're, we got to understand that there's a community. There's a connection between a husband and a wife. Because as we understand that God created this with a specific purpose for what we call procreation. Any other relationship outside of this would not be considered something of God's intention. You can't say any other so-called institution of marriage can be outside of a woman and a man because God created man and then a woman from a man. So when you see the institution that God created, it was for created order and procreation so they could be fruitful and multiply. And as they're fruitful and they are to multiply, it's so important for us to understand that God has called a people to come together and he's created civilizations, societies, people groups, ethnic groups, all to come together for what? To not just simply have this pleasure, this, this intimate sexual intimacy of pleasure, to just have that act because it's an act of worship to God, but it's to procreate, to be fruitful and multiply. So when we're fruitful and multiply, so we could represent him. And as we represent God, we represent him with the intention because he's given us a relationship with him. And as we have a relationship with him, we can now extend that further to have community with others. So now it's not just family. It becomes colleagues and friends. And now God is creating the church, the people of God. And as we see in the book of Genesis, you'll see that even to chapter 12, he chose the father of many nations, not just Israel, but of many nations, Gentiles, people groups, ethnic groups, to be a nation of people in a land that he blessed them and promised them because communication, community, and connection was of his intention. And so if we're created for that, then it's important for us to recognize that. But what happens in any kind of marriage or in relationship, we have likes and dislikes personalities and opinions. We have people who feel it should go one way and we have people who think it should go another way. And so instead of working together, we're pulling apart because one of the people in the group, whether if it's two people or 10 people or 20 or 120, it doesn't matter. We're all kind of pulling away from each other, pushing and pulling. Which way are we going to go? My idea, your idea, my opinion, your opinion. And which one should we do it? Should we do it according to someone's opinion or is it to God's intention? See, that's important because with community and connection, there's dislikes and likes, tolerance, and I'm tired of you, I want to escape, I don't want to be around you anymore. <laughs> well, we had isolationism for how long? 18, 19 months, and people started to get you know, kind of accustomed to it. 
It became common. It's a new pattern. During my time away, I was able to stay with what I call my father in the Lord and his wife, Millie. I've known them for over 30 years. And the one thing she said, now he's been in ministry for over 50 years, retired three years ago, has done ministry for a long time. He's, he's in his mid to cold, close to late 70s now. And she said, Bruno, I got to be honest with you. I got accustomed to sitting home. Here's a woman who sold out for Jesus, but she enjoyed getting to do the different things at home and not going out and being with community with people. But she said she had to challenge herself to get back out, to get into the building again so that we can come together in community. This is so vital that we understand this because it's important not only in the marriage context, but it's important for the body of Christ. So as God has commanded us to do these things, it's important for us to understand because as a people, as a nation, as a land, as a people of God, The Bible says this, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen for his own inheritance, Psalm 33, 12. Or it says also when a righteousness exalts a nation, it's because we who are in Christ are considered righteous. Do you know? Do you understand that when you've trusted in Christ, you've been declared righteous? And if we can come together as a people of God, righteousness doesn't come from an ideology. Righteousness comes from our God. And of our God, it comes through the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who is deity, who is God, who came and died on the cross for our sin. That's where our righteousness is declared, and we will be made righteous at the glorified state or glorification. And so we as a nation can come together if we are together as a people of God. And so this intention was, as a nation, was really for the people of God. See, Israel, for the people of God, is we understand that they were gathered with a purpose, an identity. And you and I, as a people of God, as we even see in 1 Peter chapter 2, we were a chosen nation, a people of God, to, to again, to show forth the righteousness of God. And he's deposited in us the Holy Spirit, which is so vital. So how do we maintain this community that God has given us? How do we do that? Well, as a body of Christ, prayer is our trademark for creating connection and community with the Lord. We've got to get back to prayer. We've got to get back to what God is calling us. I want to look at chapter 1, chapter 1 of Acts. Will you turn with me to chapter 1 of Acts? If you have your Bibles with you, I'll have it flashed in front of you. But I just want to give you guys a little, little excerpt here of chapter 1. Uh, Chapter 1, and I just, I just want to highlight some of these. And as you stay there, I'm going to just highlight that prayer was an important theme throughout the book of Acts. Let me just give you some excerpts here. In chapter, chapter 1, verse 24, it says, And they prayed and said, You, Lord, you know the hearts of all. Show which one of these two you have chosen. And we're talking about choosing the 12th disciple after Judas Iscariot was taken away and he was killed. He committed suicide. So here they had to make a choice, a decision, and they prayed. And we're going to talk about that shortly. So the choosing us, so it was necessary before the Pentecost to make sure they had that 12th person. Acts 2.42 says this, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. Again, this was the establishment of biblical community, teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayer. And then in chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, which is around 3 o'clock. 
in the presence of God, in the temple where God's presence was known. And here were Peter and John being appointed by God to start the church just prior and just after they heard. This was just after the Pentecost because they had to establish the biblical consistency of prayer. And then you have chapter 4, 24. And just in the first six chapters, you see this. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And it continues a prayer. Again, that was to establish biblical courage in the immediate context. Or we see in chapter 6, when these were set before the apostles, they prayed and laid their hands on them, the seven that were sent out, because they had a problem and they needed a resolution, so they prayed. They looked to God. See, this is, is this not a model for our 21st century that we need to follow? So we need to create this culture of prayer. So I just want to talk about that to kind of set us back, to go back so we can go to the future, to go back, to learn from the first century how communication, how community, how connection happens. But it can't happen unless we're praying. We have to do an assessment and an evaluation of ourselves. If the average person is praying about three minutes a day, an average Christian, or the average pastor is praying about seven or eight minutes a day, I wonder why the church is not able to do well in the midst of this crisis where chaos is starting to overwhelm us. We have to look and see how do we create a culture of prayer? How do we get back when we're isolated? How do we get back to praying? Well, first we have to start and see what did the first century do. So let's just look at that. So we have to create a culture of prayer, and it's got to start by making it a priority, making it a priority in our lives. This is so vital because the Holy Spirit's been deposited in us to have community, and we can't isolate ourselves anymore. It's an, an important part of what we're doing. So Luke chapter 24, if you're thinking about Luke in the writings, Luke writes both Luke and the book of Acts. So the end of chapter 24 is in connection with Acts chapter 1, as you see a correlation of both the verses that are mentioned and also in the immediate contents of that time as it was happening, that Jesus is now ascended. He's resurrected and he's ascended to the right hand of the Father. And here it says what at that point were the believers going to do. They're in the unknown. They're told there's a promise of the Holy Spirit to come. They've been informed of that, but they don't know how it's going to happen. Now, we know, we look, 21st century lens, we see that. We understand we have been deposited the Holy Spirit in us, but at that point, they didn't know. So here, as you read it and you see, it says this, and what should they do in the midst of the unknown as they wait? Should they be concerned? Should they share their opinions? Should they evaluate it? Should they try to figure out what's next? Should they try to understand it before they make their next step? What should they do? What's to, what's to be done? And it says this, and he led them out as far as Bethany, Jesus, to the disciples. And these were disciples, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them, was carried into heaven. That's the ascension. And we see it in chapter 1 of Acts. And they worshiped him. They kneeled and prostrated themselves before the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He went to sit at the right hand of the father and authority is all given to him. The father gave it to him already, as we know, in John 5, But now he is sitting. He's completed the job. It's finished. 
And what did they do? They didn't wonder. It didn't share their opinions. They weren't trying to figure it out. They weren't trying to be intellectual enough or trying to come up with a plan. They simply worshiped. When was the last time that we just stopped trying to figure it out, trying to come up with a plan and just worshiped? When was the last time we did that? When we just worshiped. We just stop before the Lord and say, God, I can't figure all this out. I don't know when you're coming. We're even wondering when he's coming again. We see signs and we're wondering, we're trying to come up with a plan to get ready. But God's saying, be ready. Worship now. No one's stopping you from worshiping. No one's coming in and breaking down our doors and saying, stop meeting together. They're not doing that. We have freedom still. We have a, a nation where we can still worship the Lord. Anywhere, anytime. My gosh, you can worship in your bathroom. You can worship in your downstairs. You can worship anywhere. You can worship while your wife is giving you a hard time. You can worship wife when husband's giving you a hard time. When the kids are just getting up, you can still worship the Lord. You can give him glory and honor and praise because he's worthy of it. He's worthy of praise. So when was the last time we really just truly worshiped the Lord? And ask God to do a wondrous work in our hearts so we could draw close to him in relationship and community and connect with him. So then when we connect with him, we're going to want to connect with others. Because what are we worshiping? What are we struggling with? What's becoming an idol? I'm going to tell you something. I know what's an idol. Here it is. Here's an idol. Here's what we do. Or we're like... Can't find my, can't find my, oh, there we go. Okay, got my show now. Good, good for two or three hours now. Everybody leave me alone. Or four or five. I'd spend the whole night. See, God's calling us to a place where we can worship him. And it says this, it says, and we're continually, in verse 53, in the temple blessing God in his presence. See, we're in his presence We can find rest and peace and joy. doesn't mean we don't do anything. It just means we need to learn to find that as a priority in our lives. Acts 1, 12, 14, it says this, Then they returned to Jerusalem after the ascension from the mount called Olive, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they entered, they went up to the upper room And where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, the zealot, and and Judas, the son of James. God had, Luke wanted to make sure that everyone was listed, all 11 of them. He said, this is where it is. This is where the context is. They made it a priority. They went to the Lord and they prayed. Now, this was similar to what they saw as an example. I'm going to tell you something. A priority of prayer in the life of a believer has to have someone who's mentored that to them. I'm going to tell you something. I can tell you at the first part of my relationship with God, the one thing I can tell you at the church where I was in Stanford, Connecticut, it was modeled in front of me. People were constantly praying. People were worshiping the Lord. Every moment we had, I remember going to my friend Ted's house, and we sat there, and he said, what are we going to do? Let's just sing songs of worship to God and pray. For three hours, we worshiped and we prayed. That was just me, five months in the Lord. We just sat and worshiped and prayed and prayed to the Lord and lifted up our voices to the Lord, and we confessed our sin, and we were repenting in front of one another. I mean, it was so amazing. 
I didn't even feel like I was sitting there at a table. It was weird. I felt like I was like displaced in the air. It was just, it was amazing how we were just in the presence of the Lord. We made it a priority every time we hung out. It wasn't about just fellowship and finding common likes. It was prayer. It was a priority. It was important. It was something that that's what our fellowship was about. And that's what they did. And see, they saw it in Jesus in Luke chapter 6. When Jesus was choosing the 12, it says that he prayed all night long to choose the 12. When was the last time we prayed all night long? When was the last time that we were bearing our hearts and labor before God? We have the Holy Spirit that's harnessed in us. We can do that. And Jesus showed them as a model, as an example, the culture of prayer. We need to get back to that, people. We need to get back to prayer. We need to believe God to do that. Hudson Taylor, the founder of China Inland Missions, prayed early in the morning, 2 to 4 a.m., Martin Luther, if I fail to spend two hours of prayer each morning, he says, the devil gets the victory of the day. I mean, uh, there's an amazing book on prayer that I've written about for leaders, but also for all people. And where uh, Dave Early, who wrote the book, said that he went, um, you know, to uh, uh, Korea and South Korea, and he saw thousands upon thousands of people getting up at 5.30 in the morning to pray. 12,000 people would get up. This church was large. But what they said was what made the church get to 800, 900,000 people was a culture of prayer. They would pray. They would seek the Lord. There would be priority in their lives. And I think that's what we need in our culture today. We need to get back to prayer. Why don't we pray? Sometimes we just don't believe God. Sometimes we just struggle. Sometimes we don't like the stress involved in it. So we look for relief outside of God. We look for other things in our lives so we don't have to think about it. We don't like the conflict. We try to avoid praying because it's just too conflicting. It's overwhelming. We become apathetic and lazy, sluggish. And then we get what? Remember Hebrews? Dull of hearing. We don't hear the Lord because we're not spending that quality time of prayer. That's so vital in our lives. So verse 14, it says, all these were in one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the woman and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. So here the 120 are in a room. They're praying. They're seeking God. They're wondering when the spirit, the so-called promise of the Holy Spirit coming, the day of Pentecost. And so they continued to pray and devoted themselves to the Lord. So they created this culture of prayer. And what did they do? They, we saw, like I shared earlier, that they were being persistent. They were being persistent. And in our lives, we need to understand that that's persistence is key. Persistence is key. A gentleman from North Africa in the 17th century uh, went to Burma uh, to be a missionary in the 18th, 19th, well, probably 18th century. And as he did, he waited six years. He didn't see any converts in six years, but he was persistent. He kept praying. He kept asking God to open a door. Most people today would have given up after six months, but he stayed there for six years. And as he did, God started to open a door. And many years later, even to this day, they said there was over 210,000 Christians in the Burma, the country of that area. 
there were so many because of the persistence, the perseverance of one man, because he prayed and he sought the Lord and he continued to seek God. That's what we need to see today. Sometimes I think, like I said earlier, we can overthink things, but they didn't try to overthink anything. The people as we call the 11 apostles and the new believers that came out of the, the time of that ascension just before the Pentecost. They didn't, try, they didn't overthink it. They didn't try to overthink it. They didn't try to control it. They didn't try to understand it. They didn't try to get ahead of it because they didn't know when it was coming. However, they turned to the Lord and said, God is sovereign. He knows. He's promised. And whatever God promises, he can see it through. See, whatever God promises in our lives, that's why we need to stand on the promises of God because it's his plan. He's going to do it. It's not us. It's not our strength. It's not our will. It's not what we can do. It's got to be God's. So we have to surrender. When we say, God, I need you, God, I want you to do your work in here, that means we're saying, God, I trust you. God, I believe you. God, even though I don't get it, I don't have to get it because you got it. And you're not mistaken by anything that's happening right now. You're not mistaken by COVID. You're not mistaken about all the things are going. God, what are you calling me to do? And he's saying, children, I just want you to surrender to me. Allow me to work through you. I've deposited the Holy Spirit in you so you can allow me to do the work. It's not your work. It's my work through you. So it's not our energy. It's not our intelligence. It's not our smarts. It's not how many years we've gone to college or whether we have a PhD or a doctorate or THM or whatever. It matters that we surrender to God and say, it's yours, Lord. It's all yours. See, the Holy Spirit is come in us. And all we have to do is just be persistent and trust him for his plan. Number three, it says this, we've created a culture of prayer by having purpose with one mind. Purpose with one mind. Let me just, again, going back to chapter 14, uh, verse 14, it says this, two words here. They were devoted with one accord. With one accord is really that, that simple thing. What I just stated here, it's with one purpose. It's simply to having purpose with one mind, coming together, realizing that decisions are not made by one person or another person. We all come together in agreement because we believe God has called us to something. And so we come together with the intention that it's God's purpose. What did they have in front of them? Really simple. They had to make a decision. They had to choose. But was it their choice or God's choice? And how would they go about doing it? So they used an Old Testament method in order to accomplish God's decision, because it's his. It wasn't something they can all come together, try to work out and talk out every bit of the plan until they say, it makes logical sense. Let's go with this one. But God never said for us to go with logical sense. He called us to go with faith, trusting him, believing him. Even when it doesn't make sense, you still trust the Lord. How many times in my life I've seen that happen? I've seen God work. When I tried to make some kind of sense of it, God would say, why are you doing that? I'm the one who's leading this. And so God, when we have to see that, that doesn't mean we discount what God has given us in talents and gifts. It's not saying that he's not given us that. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that it's his decision. It's his plan. And we have to come in agreement to his plan. And we see that his plan is quite clear through the scriptures. 
And so we see this happening. And it says in Acts chapter 1, verse 24 through 26, it says, And they prayed and they said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, should which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry in the apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go in his own place. And so what did they do? It says they casted lots for them. Now, what's the casting of lots before I give you that final answer? Proverbs 16.33 simply says this, the lot is cast into the lap, but, is, but its every decision is from the Lord. See, the casting of the lots has determined God's decision here. It's not their decision. It's not whether it's just like with David when they looked at, when, when Samuel looked at all the sons of, of, of Jesse and Saul, not eight or nine of them, and said, which one should we choose? He was waiting for the Lord to tell him which one. And it was David, a man after his own heart. But he didn't know until the Lord told him. Same thing. Proverbs 18, 18 says, the lot puts an end to quarrels and decides between powerful contenders, meaning the lot, when it's God's decision, we come to agreement because what are the quarrels from? Well, I think I have the best decision. No, I think I have the best decision. Oh, I think I know what's best. No, I think I know what's best. And you start to quarrel and you're saying, what does God want to do here? We need to seek God in prayer. And that's what we have to do. And so with community, you'll have dislikes and likes, opinions, and all of that, but it comes together. How do we come together? Through prayer. It brings us, it gels us together because the casting of lots was used as a tool for peacemaking, for any disputes or decisions. And after the Pentecost, matters and decisions were settled through in prayer. That's what you see in Acts 6. Settled in prayer. When you see Acts 6 is so specific, they didn't cast lots there. They casted lots here because the Holy Spirit yet didn't come for the Pentecost. And so what happened is it it fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. He was 12. See, we have this power of the Holy Spirit that's harnessed in us. We have the Holy Spirit that's working in us. I want to show a clip from the the movie, and you might think, how is this all going to tie in? I'm going to share in just a moment. I'm going to show you this clip. All right. Well, you guys might say, what in the world is going on there? What is being said in that message? Marty's stuck in 1955. He didn't plan it. It happened. And when he was there, it was out of his control. He had to get back home. And the Emmett Brown of 1955, still, he didn't create or discover this flux capacitor, but it was just shortly after he fell. He had a wound because he saw after he fell from the toilet. And he fell down, and he couldn't see, and he hit his head. And he said, came up with this flux capacitor. And he says, the only way we can get you back to the future is by harnessing this power, this bolt of lightning, 1.21 gigawatts for all you science people out there. And here it was to harness into this vehicle, a vehicle that we would all love to drive in and go into the future with. We'd love to have one of those. And here it is, harnessing, because what did he say? He said, you're my only hope. I'm stuck. Well, you need this power, Marty, to get you back. And he says, we're going to do it. How about us? Do you feel stuck? 
Do you feel like there's no hope? What is your hope today? If you're a believer in Christ and you have the Holy Spirit, you have hope. You can harness that power by looking to the Lord in prayer, by submitting yourself in repentance and confession, by asking God to do a work in the midst of us. How many of us have been praying about that? Or how many of us are complaining that we can't get our freedom and our rights here in America? If we could just channel that, bring it back, and channel our focus on the Holy Spirit through the power of God, through Jesus, and say, God, we ask you to do this through us. If we would focus on God using us rather than concerned about the outward forces, what God can do. Why did it only happen in the first century? Why can't it happen now? When we hear the power of God in us, through the power of God, through the Holy Spirit, through the word of God in prayer, we can see God speaking to us and getting us through this. We won't complain anymore. We'll take every opportunity we can to share Christ with others. We have that power. We have a power far greater than a bolt of lightning. A bolt of lightning can kill us, but a bolt of lightning can't stop the Holy Spirit in us. Guys, let me tell you something. What makes us different from everybody else in the world? There are far more intelligent people, far better communicators, far better people who can get us out of any kind of situation. But the difference between you and them is the Holy Spirit. And we have that power. And all we have to do is pray, confess our sin, admit that we need Jesus, and say, God, please help me. There was a time in my life when I was struggling, I was going through such a rough time at the beginning of my walk with the Lord. There's been many seasons, but I recall the first one being with the walk with the Lord. For months and months, I felt stuck with no hope, was crying out to God in depression, didn't know why he allowed certain situations in my life. I couldn't get a job, nothing happened, couldn't work things out. And then all of a sudden, just through a process. The people of God in the church prayed for me every day. People gathered around me, lifted me up. I felt like I was just a nuisance to everyone, telling them about my struggle. But they said, no, brother, this is an opportunity for us to show you a culture of prayer. In my church, that when I first came to Christ, they covered me with prayer. They would pray over me. They would lift me up. The pastor would disciple me through this whole thing. I didn't understand. It was all new to me. Why am I struggling so much? Why is this that God's allowing all of this? And then in one day, not even a day, Within two hours, not even two hours, within actually 20 minutes, the very things that I needed, God gave me. He gave me a job, and he gave me a car in 20 minutes. And I said, Lord, why did I just go through that for nine months in depression? And the Holy Spirit said to me, because you have to learn to lean on me through the tough times. That's when you draw close to me. That's when you can minister to others. That's when you can be a light for me, when you go through it. You said there was no hope, but I am your only hope. And I left you there because you would find out I am your only hope. There was no other hope. I tried and I tried and I tried. And God said, learn that I'm your only hope. And I learned to lean on God and I learned to pray and I learned to cry so much that when I was going through that, I remember my brother walking in and I was on my knees crying out to God with tears. My brother's like, what's wrong with you? Screaming out to God. And he goes, God's cleansing me of my sin. He's like looking at me weird, 
because he thought he's never seen that ever happen in my life. But I was crying. I learned to cry out to God. I learned to lean on him. And now I got to tell you, in the last 30 years, I've learned that through very difficult seasons. And I'm going to tell you, that's what we need. We need to get back to that. We need to get back to setting up a culture of prayer. We need to get that so that when we do, we can move in the future. God's called us to that because when we harness, when we, are, we, when we create a culture of prayer in our community, we become empowered by the Spirit to overcome any situation, any situation in our lives. So do you feel stuck? you feel like your prayer life is at the end? Let me give you some helpful tips if I can. I want to encourage you, write these down. How can we create a culture of prayer again? Let me start here. I would encourage you to start praying 15 minutes in the morning, just 15 minutes. Put out a prayer list. I have a prayer list. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm not an iPhone guy. I'm an Android guy, so make fun of me all you want. But I got my notes, and my notes, I have a prayer list right here, and some of you are on it. And I pray every day on my prayer list. And I spent a good 15 to 20, 25 minutes because before I go to my prayer list, I worship the Lord. Take this time, pray 15 minutes and 15 minutes at night. I I want you to write that. Just put a list of people on your prayer list, your family, people at work, people at the church. I hope Pastor Dennis and I and the pastoral team are on there. Pray for our staff. Pray for your life group. Pray for Grace, anything on Grace Connect. Pray for life group members. If you need to do that, please do that. Write up a prayer list. Number two, pray with someone in your life group. If you're not part of a life group, contact Pastor Dennis or talk to me if you need to, but contact him. He would love to see you get into a life group and start praying for someone in your life group. That's what we need to do or join a prayer team at church. That's what we're trying to do on Sunday mornings. We try to get that started this past year, it's been struggling. Athleo is leading in King Young Jui, and she's told me like yesterday she's struggling again to get people to get mobilized in prayer. We could use people to pray. If you're interested to come out and pray before the service, or even if you want to do it during the service, we would love for you to get involved. Let me know before you leave today. Don't let anyone leave today. We've got to ask God to do that work in us. Let's pray. Father, thank you. It's apropos for us to take a couple more minutes of our time, to ask that you would do a mighty work. You're our only hope. And we need to stop talking about the situation around us and start praying about it, praying for you to use us as a light so that we can harness the power of the Holy Spirit in us to do a work not only inside but outside of this building. God, I just pray that you would help us create a culture of prayer at Grace Church Waldorf. Help us through our life groups, as individuals, as people gathering together in discipleship, that we would come together even here and, and on Sunday mornings to pray. God, we need that so desperately. God, please empower us to do so for your honor and your glory and your praise that you would be glorified. God, bring us back in our hearts towards the first century that we would lean on you in prayer and depend on you for community, for connection, so that we who are created for community can move forward for your kingdom's sake. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you guys. Real quick.